Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hey there, how's it going? My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it is my pleasure to bring you every week the stories of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. Have you ever eaten at a farm-to-table restaurant? If you're from the agriculture industry like me, you can't help but wonder, how does that work? What about the seasons? What about when a farmer can't deliver? How do the logistics work of having individual relationships with every single farmer that produces the ingredients that end up uh on your plate for a farm-to-table restaurant. How literal does that mean, farm-to-table? Is it sometimes, is it when available? What does all that mean? And I wanted to bring on somebody who is a pioneer uh, in in really trying to do the farm-to-table concept, the local, regional concept right, and in trying to make sure he gets the best, most fresh, most high-quality ingredients on the table and delivers for his customer consistently, no matter what. Well, I had to look no further than our very favorite restaurant here in the Austin, Texas area in Jack Allen's Kitchen. Jack Gilmore is the owner of Jack Allen's, uh, which is a restaurant in the Austin area, actually five restaurants in the Austin area, that really is committed to the farm-to-table concept. Jack has personal relationships with the farmers that produce what he estimates as at least 80% of every ingredient that is served as restaurants. It's been a favorite of my wife and I since we moved to the Austin area uh, what, f- over almost five years ago, and uh, we've eaten at almost five, <laughs> almost all five of those restaurants, I think. Uh, really, really enjoy uh, his his, uh, his restaurant, but also just his perspective. You, you can tell from this interview that he is extremely committed uh, to agriculture and to really knowing where his food comes from. And I, I think it's uh, just an interesting look into the logistics and kind of pulling back the curtain behind farm to table as a concept and how it all works. Um, I enjoyed this interview. I think you will too, and definitely encourage you to come eat at Jack Allen's Kitchen. Uh, I'll meet you there. If you come down here to the Austin, Texas area, let me know. Anyways, enjoy this interview with Jack Gilmore of Jack Allen's Kitchen. Uh, He's going to start off by telling us a little bit about how the restaurant concept got started. Well, you know, in, in 1998, 1999, my partner Tom Cam and I wanted to get away from the corporate world of running restaurants and open our own restaurant. And uh, we wanted to open up uh, a, a series of restaurants that wasn't all about, you know, just Jack Allen's Kitchen. Uh, you know, the hardest part was to name the restaurant. We took my middle name, Allen. We called it Jack Allen's Kitchen. And the word kitchen tells you you can pretty much do whatever you want you're not pigeonholed into uh a tie-in or mixed in or technic or or you know german food or seafood you pretty much do whatever you want so we got uh started looking around and, and my son was going through culinary school and doing his internship in aspen colorado and he called me one day and said dad you wouldn't believe all the fresh produce I could get on top of a mountain in the middle of America 
in the middle of summer, in uh, the middle of winter time. And uh, so it got me to thinking, you know, why don't I start meeting farmers down here and ranchers and cheese makers and beer makers and beer vendors and stuff and keep it as local as I can. And that's pretty much where it all started, just the model of taking care of the people that are around us. Uh, they work their tails off, literally, to uh, to supply restaurants. And it was a, back then it was just a, it was a tagline, it was a cliche, farm to table. And the more I dug in, it's a really difficult thing to do if you're, if you're not supported by some really loyal farmers. Uh, but it's also a super easy thing to do when you're aligned with some, you know, credible farmers and, and things like that. So it became a, a relationship with our farmers and, and Tom and I did a bunch of tours of farmers and hit the farmer's market every Saturday and built these relationships. And, uh, it really started just like that. And did, were you a, a head chef before that or had you owned restaurants beforehand? Yeah, I didn't own a restaurant, but I was a corporate chef for a restaurant that we had about 18 restaurants throughout the country from anything from Baltimore to Seattle to Orange County to Salt Lake City, Vegas, Phoenix, Dallas, all over the place. So, you know, it got to the point where, you know, I told my wife, you know, I know how to run a restaurant. I'm tired of working for the other guy. Uh, let's do it our, ourselves. And she goes, okay, I'll, we're ready. Let's do it. And uh, t take us back here to you, 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 had, you and your partner had this concept that, hey, we can develop relationships with local farmers and keep it, you know, as local as possible. Uh, what did those conversations sound like with when you would hit up a farmer at a farmer's market and say, hey, I'm, I'm starting this restaurant? Like, how did that conversation go? Well, back then, farming pretty much, you know, farm to table pretty much started off. There was a couple of restaurants here in Austin doing it. And they were a little shy at first because some of the local chefs say one thing and they do another. Mm. And so we had to build a, a relationship and a loyalty uh, deal with them. And say, you know, we'll pay our bills, we'll pay on time. And if I tell you to order, you know, to, to grow me two rows of tomatoes, I'll buy them from you. So it became a, a loyalty thing with us and the relationship because because we you know at the end of the day if they're going to go through all the work of growing something and then we shy away from it then we we lost our our loyalty our respect our integrity and we just kept that going and after about six or eight months they knew we were the real deal and that we would support them and they would support us and you know they're they're, they're the fun time for them is is when we tell them we're going to build another restaurant, which means they got to double what they do, and then we're going to build another restaurant in two years. They got to triple what they do, and uh, it just seemed to work out. But uh, we, some of the farmers, we've outgrown, and now we have two or three different tomato farmers, two or three different corn farmers, two or three different everything you can imagine farmers, just to keep up with uh, with our traffic. And your your menu, how much is it uh, constrained or, or I guess influenced by what you can source locally here? Well, what we did was we have, we have what's called a core menu where you just can't change. So, you know, I don't tell every I don't tell anybody we're 100% local. 
I tell them we're, we're as local as we can be. In right. other words, I have salmon on the menu. Guess what? That's not local. <laughs> but it's, it's it, and I have avocados on the menu. It's not local, but one month a year. Uh, so I get them out of California or I get them out of Mexico. But we're as local as you can be. So, you know, at some point, our, your hands are tied because, you know, if you deal with a cattle rancher and he, and he butches one cow a month, I'll go through one cow every two days. You know, there's only a certain amount of New York strips and a certain amount of tenderloins on each cow. And I can grind up as much as I want. But So we, we start sourcing out to other people, other farmers and things like that. So, you know, at night and during the day, everything on our menu, on our special menus are as local as you can be. And, but I could, I could tell you without a doubt that about 80 Eighty percent of everything on every plate is local, and I, and local used to be within a hundred miles of Austin, Hill Country. Now it's within the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can't buy apples here, but I can buy them in the Panhandle. You know, things like that. We're as local as we can be, and it's the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, if you buy if you buy stuff out of California or Florida. Guess what? It's been sitting on a train car for four or five days, and uh, and it's already week old by the time you get it. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But uh, I'd rather get it as close as I can to us and and treat it right and 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 honor it the right way. Because I met these farmers, I met their kids. I know what they're going through. I know they just have too much rain. I know they just had a tornado. I know they don't have enough rain. So. Plan B is is to go to is to find it. You have to find it somewhere. So we do have a plan B. And that process of you know, because I, I don't know how many farmers you deal with, but I I would imagine it's it's a lot. Uh, how, how do you manage those relationships and the logistics of making sure everybody's kind of staying on top of uh, getting the ingredients in the right place at the right time? Well, there's there's three ways. Number one is. We hit the farmer's market. All of our chefs put a wad of cash in their pocket and hit the farmer's market right at 9 o'clock on a Saturday. And in Austin, we're lucky there's at least four or five farmer markets every Saturday. There's some on Wednesday. There's some on Thursday. But um, every Saturday is when we, when we talk about, you know, hey, what's coming up? What's going? You know, are you going to have melons this week or are you going to have them next week? Things like that. So it starts there. Um, some farmers deliver, some don't, if they don't deliver, we pick up on Saturdays and then, then we'll pick up from somewhere on Wednesdays, but we have two middlemen that work for us that, that, that actually have a company, uh, one's called truck and tomatoes, the other one's called farm to table, farm to plate. And, uh, and, and they're the ones that really hit the, hit the farmers themselves and go pick up produce for us, comes back, tax on a couple bucks a case, and we buy it from them. And so it's created two small businesses just to take care of chefs like us and, and probably about 15 or other 20, 15 or 20 other chefs. And then and then third being, uh, they deliver. And they, they just bring it to you. Mm-hmm. And I, I always tell them, after the market, if you're, if you're stuck with produce, you know, typically they'll go back and feed their cows or feed their chickens. I'm like, well, 
that's that's good. But if you get stuck with something, knock on our back door and we'll take it off. Hmm. Uh, the only thing I don't like buying is eggplant because I just don't like eggplant, but we buy it anyway. <laughs> is there anything that you were surprised you could get local that you, you didn't think initially you'd be able to? You know, yes. Um, artichokes, asparagus surprised me. Uh, different herbs that I knew nothing about surprised me. Uh, edamame surprised me. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get farmers to, to kind of push the needle a little bit and, and start growing jicama that typically doesn't grow here in Central Texas, but it should. It grows in the valley, and they just haven't, you know, stuck their stuck their ears out yet to try to do it. But uh, there's a lot of stuff that's surprising. The cheese cheese industry, the dairy industry, fresh milk, fresh buttermilk, things like that surprised me. Uh, yogurt, things like that. But uh, everybody's pushing the needle a little bit, uh, trying to do it right. Yeah, and is there anything that uh, you you do source locally, but you just can't seem to get enough of? Everything. I just can't get enough of everything. I mean, we have we have five restaurants now, and we'll feed a ton of people a week. Um, and it's just you know, it depends on what happens with Mother Nature. To tell you the truth, right. you know, Mother Nature doesn't like too much sun, but it likes enough. Doesn't like too much water, but it, it needs enough. Doesn't like high winds but it needs enough. Uh, so it's just, you know, I can't imagine being a farmer and losing a crop of fields because of bugs or because of wind or because of hail and things like that. They got to start all over again. But they're, they're the most resilient people on the planet, hardest working people on the planet. And all I want to do is take care of them and then honor whatever we get from them. So. I feel bad for them when they call me and they say, you know, we can't, we can't get you those 200 pounds of tomatoes, but I can get you 50. I'm like, well, that's a good start. Or I can't get you, I can't get you 50 dozen eggs because chickens aren't laying because it's too hot outside. But, you know, give me what you can. Uh, things like that. So it, it's kind of a, and, and our chefs and our farmers, because of the loyalty aspect of it, are, are on top of it. And, uh, and we just, uh, we figured it out. One thing that's amazed me in all the times we've been to, to your restaurants is never once have we run into, oh, uh, you know, that's on the menu, but we don't have that. And so that has to take an incredible right. amount of management on your part. I, mean, I assume, you know, in, in the examples you just mentioned, you know, sometimes there is a shortfall and there's nothing anybody can do about it. H- how do you manage right. that kind of things? It, it, it's getting harder and harder, especially with having five successful restaurants. Here's a good example. We buy a farm-raised ruby trout out of Idaho. I've been using them for 25 years. But every year in the middle of August, they have issues getting us enough trout because they're going through the same thing, even in Idaho, with shortage of water, shortage of egg, and, and, and all that stuff. So we just, we just manage it. You know, we, we, instead of pushing that product from a server standpoint, or a bartender standpoint, we kind of lessen it, but I'm proud to say that we try not to, in, in the restaurant business, it's called 86 an item, it means you're out. So when it happens, and it rarely happens, people understand it, because you know I can easily buy a frozen trout if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. 
So that's an example. But, but you know, it just seems to work out. But again, it's that loyalty part of it. Well, they're going to take care of Jack Allen's kitchen before they take care of uh, Joe Blow restaurant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have that relationship formed. And that's, that's what matters. Back to repair our bills, we're consistent. They, they can forecast what they do. And the last thing they want to do is call me in the morning and say, I can't make your order because of whatever. That's the last thing. But I understand it. They're right. not going to get kicked out, but I understand it. Now, um, kind of looking behind the scenes here, you, you'd mentioned the example earlier about, you know, if you were going to tell a farmer you'll take two more rows of tomatoes or whatever the case may be. Um, are, are those orders usually done far enough ahead in time where the, the, the farmer knows when he plants the crop, it's going to end up in your restaurant or are those, is it just vary on, on the time horizon of the contracts or the order? Well, that's a, that's a great question. And where we're at right now is we're toward the end of uh, summertime, middle of August, and they're starting to forecast what they're going to plant for the, for the fall or winter. And they ask us, Hey, so what do you think you're going to do? I said, let's do the same thing you did last year. We'll kick it up 20% and, uh, and we'll take it all. But they ask us, what do you want from us? And we tell them, you know, if, if you have enough land and if you want to get rid of, you know, your crop of okra and plant more tomatoes, then do that. You know, uh, you know if, if we're buying figs, most of the time fig trees are mature at five years old. Too late to plant right now for next year. But if they're growing figs uh, or growing peaches, we just get the first of the crop and the, and the last of the crop. So they can't really come up. You know, but you can grow a tomato plant with tomatoes in 75 to 85 days. So now's the time to do it. And if they plant now, we can get some of those fall tomatoes. And that's right. what most of them are doing. Yeah, that makes sense. And if they wanted to test out a new variety, is that something that you guys talk about ahead of time? Or, um, you know, or maybe they heard, you know, if, if we buy this new variety, it grows really well in, in Central Texas. Uh, you know, is it still going to maintain the quality for Jack Allen's Kitchen? Are those conversations you have regularly? We have it all the time. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, farmers get so busy and they're so, uh, to me, a farmer is a lot like a chef where they think about, you know, cross planting and what to plant next to next to so-and-so, you know, it's like, you know, our, our good example is two happy children out of, uh, out of way North Austin, they plant, they do all of our melons and it got to a point where she was doing melons and didn't even know what they were. Hmm. So she would just come up with a name and said, it's a mystery melon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's cool. That's kind of, to me, it's a cross between a watermelon, a cantaloupe and a honeydew. And it doesn't look like any of those three on the outside, but that's what it tastes like. So she calls it a mystery melon. Hmm. And, and it's kind of like, you know, when you start buying all these, uh, you know, hot peppers, you know, some of them don't even have names. They're just hot. So they come up with names, um, which is cool. I mean, they're not trying to invent anything, but, you know, just have fun with it. Just have a, have a blast with it. You know, tomatoes are tomatoes. But, um, you know, you get the Joliet's and then you get the multicolored Joliet and all of a sudden it's a different variety. And, and a lot of times it's by accident and then they, they, uh, keep the seeds for next year and 
Let's see what happens next year. How do you determine which farmers to work with? Do you have like a criteria or uh, or anything like that? Like what would be a good fit for, for Jack Allen's Kitchen for, from a farmer standpoint? Uh, you know, that's a really, really good question. Um, I've never, number one, before we buy from a farmer, we always uh, tour it. You know, I spent, I, spent, I spent about 120 days a few years back touring every farm that we buy from. I just came back from the coast down in, down in uh, South Padre Island way and met with some shrimpers some crabbers some oyster farmers and things like that. Cause I want to know where the stuff comes from and I want them to meet me. I want to meet them, but uh, you know, as long as they're respectable and they treat it right and they treat their animals right and they do it right, then I'm all in. Uh, and it's, doesn't matter what your name of the farm is. Doesn't matter how big you are or how small you are. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to to not qualify as long as you just do what you say you're going to do and get it just when you can. I'm curious on on the especially like for example beef and pork and that sort of thing. Uh, you work directly with the farmer, and then there's obviously a processor involved as well. Do you have kind of like uh, processors that you uh, uh, that have an arrangement with you or is that kind of all up to the farmer to handle that side of things? The farmers handle all that. Unfortunately here in central Texas within a hundred, 150 miles, square miles, there's only a few processors that they, that, that are approved to, to cut wild and not wild, but cut farm raise, uh, either the lamb or chicken or beef or pork. Uh, and those processors are are kind of iffy, you know. Like if if I say I'm going to buy five lamb and I want all the chops, and I want the rest of it ground up, and I also want all the heads, I typically don't get the heads because that's what the processor keeps, you know, and things like that. So if if there's an issue with and, and the hardest thing to do is to get a, a, an approved processor just because there's not enough of them. Right. So and it's one thing that uh, my friend from Iowa Ranch does a bunch of lamb. He's trying to start his own meat cutting plant where he'll do all of his lamb and then he'll let other farmers come in and then process it for him. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like the three that are out there are either overworked or, or something. There's just not enough. Not enough processes around here. Can you kind of compare uh, what the restaurant might look like or how different things would be if you decided not to be as committed to the farm-to-table concept as you are? Well, that's not even, that's not even a thought in my mind. I think, I think our guests uh, come to our restaurant knowing that we uh, support the local farmers and that they're getting fresh, healthy food. Uh, so it matters to them. It's easy to run a restaurant and just order everything from Cisco or U.S. Food or Benny Keith. Uh, it, it, it's, that's kind of the chicken way out, literally. Uh, so, but you still got to rely on them for certain things. But I, I, I don't even know the answer to that because it's never going to happen. Uh, you know, there's so many people that depend on good, fresh food, organic food, and they want to know where it comes from. There's a lot of allergies out there. Some of it's derived from 
GMOs and, and pesticides and, you know, gluten-free and things like that. So it's not even a thought. Uh, would our business take a hit? Probably. Uh, could we survive if it takes a hit? Probably. But it's not even something I'm even considering. And it, it seems to be where a lot of the source of your joy comes from. I mean, you seem to really enjoy the farmer aspect and the relationships. Well, let me, so this Saturday, it's going to be our seventh year that we throw a party for the farmers at one of the restaurants at Oak Hill. So we've invited over 120 farmers uh, to come after farmers market, which is about one o'clock. So they show up around one thirty. And it's a one day a year where we we appreciate that, you know. Besides the other fifty one a year, but we appreciate them. If we go all out, we, my son and I, all of my chefs, we literally start working at seven in the morning, cook them an incredible uh, meal that they grew for us, and now they get a chance to taste what they grow for us, and they get to, you know, most farmers. Uh, like chefs work well with each other, they respect each other, they learn from each other, and it's one time a year where they can all get together and unwind, have an incredible meal, have a couple of margaritas, some cold beer, good wine, and and good good music and a good time. And uh, so this Saturday, starting about one thirty, our parking lot at Oak Hill is going to be full of farmer trucks, trailers and whatnot, and about 120 people on the patio having a great time. So I respect them, they respect us, we give back, uh, they know we have their back, and we know they have our back. So it's it's a truly uh, magical day when we get to have them just come sit down, quit sweating, enjoy a great meal and incredible drink. That's cool. That's really cool. It, uh, it, how much did you know about farming before all this started in, 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 versus now? Well, you know, I grew up in South Texas and uh, you know, some, of the, some of the family on my uncle's side had farms and had ranches and things like that. So, you know, I remember walking through tomato fields and jalapeno fields, cornfields and hay fields and, you know, pig, pig pens and you know, everything. So, but I didn't understand, I didn't understand the magnitude of what it takes until my wife and I put in our first garden about 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, just simply having six tomato plants and keeping up with six tomato plants was cumbersome or, or leaning over to pick jalapenos is cumbersome. So I got total respect for them just having a little, uh, 200 by 200 foot little uh, little garden at our house, and, uh, and you, you know things like that. I'm not catching Mother Nature again, but just I mean it, the, the chemistry of how to run a garden, how to nurture it throughout the year, and how to get it ready for the next planting. It's a full time job for these guys. Oh yeah, it's it's very difficult work, which which is why that you know there's some concern about where are the next generation of farmers going to come from. Is is that something that uh, that concerns you about how do we how do we build this ecosystem of farmers, especially local farmers here in Texas? And uh, what what ideas do you have about that? Well, that's a good question. So 
So, you know, I'm, I'm at the age now, you know, I'm in my mid fifties and, and I worry about the next chefs coming up and who's going to bring them up to speed. And so my goal the last five or six years is to get the next chefs, whether they work for me or not up to speed. What I'm seeing in the, in the farm, in the farmer's world are the, the kids buying into it. And it's not uncommon to see a bunch of 20, 22 year old kids out there starting their own farm. Uh, we have a couple of, we have a couple of servers that started their own farm and they're doing very, very well. But the next generation to me of farmers are going to be the kids and, and the generation of farmers that I'm buying from right now took over from their parents. And it's that, and, and, but there are a lot of people that are getting out of the, uh, the real job mentality, the you know the the people that work in corporate world mentality, they want to chill out a little bit, buy 20 acres of land, and think they want to farm. Then they find out the hard way that they don't know anything about it, but they figure it out. So right. I'm not I'm not too worried about the next generation of farmers as much as I am the next generation of chefs, um, because you know. It, being a chef is very glamorous. Being a farmer is not, but it, to me, the next farmer is the next chef. Hmm. And uh, so you could glamorize being a chef all day long, but to me, the true rock star is the farmer. Cool. What well, do you know? What what's the smallest farmer farm that you buy from? Uh, there. You know, I could tell you the biggest, uh, the, but there's a lot of small. You know. You know. I had a lady knock on the door last year and she said, uh, real simply, Hey, are you, are you Jack? I said, yeah. And she goes, I heard you buy anything from the back door. I had some eggs. I said, I said, well, how many do you have? She goes, I have a dozen. I said, well, how much you want for it? She goes, eight, eight bucks. I said, I'll take them. But knowing that she wanted to get rid of the one dozen eggs, I said, I'll take as many as you got. Next week she came back. She had like 18 eggs. Now she's up to about 60 dozen eggs uh, a month. Huh. So smallest, sometimes smallest is better. Sometimes bigger is better. But it's uh, it's the passion that they have uh, that uh, we just take care of. And we, uh, whatever we can get from anybody, we'll take. You know, if somebody's only got five pounds of figs, I'll take them. You know, they got 50 pounds of fish, I'll take them. But um, it's, not about, it's not about the size, it's about the passion. Hmm. Is there, uh, the farm-to-table concept, is it still a growing concept nationwide for restaurants? Yeah, but it, it goes back to, it's a cliche line that people are, are using. They're, they're not walking the walk. They're talk the talk. They're not walking the walk. And to tell you the truth, I don't think the guest cares anymore. Um, you know, if, if you push it down their throat, they don't care. They don't want to hear that anymore. But if you're just subtle about it and just do what you do, they're going to know they're eating the freshest food they can get. So we don't even use those words anymore. Uh, on a day-to-day, taking care of each table kind of way, uh, they know it. They know it based on what they eat. And the fact that they see me at the farmer's market every, every Saturday, they go, then you really walk the walk. And, and my guests, my customers are at the farmer's market because they learn from us and they're buying stuff. And 
you know, I always tell people, don't go to a farmer's market with a list. Go there, find out what you want, buy what you want, go home and make it, and you're good. But don't go to a farmer's market with a list. Hmm. Just If something jumps out to you, literally, buy it. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, if you go to a central market or a Whole Foods, you probably have a list. But if something jumps out at you, you're just going to buy it. Yeah. So I, I always tell people, don't go there with a, with a preconceived list. You might be disappointed or you might be super, super happy. When did you, you said you grew up in South Texas. When did you know you wanted to be a chef? And I guess what pushed you that direction? Uh, you know, when I was 15, I got thrown in the kitchen from busting tables because a couple of the cooks left. And, you know, I, I wasn't passionate about it, but I got a, I got a raise. So I learned how to cook. And then I, I was playing football. I was going to high school. And, you know, I still worked 20, 25 hours a week. And, uh, and it was, a, it was a way for me to, to move to Austin, go to school and, and make a living. Uh, and I started working when I first moved to Austin, I realized that school wasn't for me. And, uh, we had, my wife and I got married early, early on, had children early on, and I knew I could make a living being a cook. And around that same time, I got to work with some incredible chefs. Uh, back then, nobody called himself a chef. We were just good line cooks. Hmm. And uh, this whole chef thing happened, and culinary school started happening, and all that stuff. But I started working with some really, really good, talented cooks, and from all walks of life, from older grandmothers, younger kids, to Hispanics, to Vietnamese, to redneck barbecues, in a good way, by the way, uh, things like that. So. I, it hit me when I was about 18 years old. I said, you know, I could probably, I could probably, I could probably have a household, two kids, a beautiful wife, and, and make a living being a really good life. What is uh, your opinion about kind of the future of, uh, I guess what I'll call, and this is a bit hyper, hyperbole, I guess, but w- the future of the local food movement? Um, Right now, what I'm seeing is, is, uh, is uh, you know, we're kind of learning as we go. Uh, you're starting to see some stuff being dehydrated. Uh, you know, sizing, you know, big doesn't always be better. I, I hate big zucchini. I hate big watermelon. Uh, so I think you're starting to see a little more delicateness on when to, when to pick. You know, if you don't pick a zucchini within two days, it should be it should be gone the next day. Gone meaning it's going to be tough and things like that. So I'm starting to see a little more delicate approach to uh, what they're picking, when they're picking, and why they're picking. You know, they always pick when it's ripe. Uh, they don't they don't pick the unripe, but if they have to, they will, and then they'll ripen it at the at their farm. Uh, you know, you're starting to see people having produce throughout the year that you shouldn't be seeing, like you shouldn't be seeing kale right now, unless you have a place to store it, or if you do it hydroponically, or you're doing it with a shade cover. So you're starting to see cool down sheds and things like that growing incredible produce. So I think technically the farmers are getting better at, at 
the space that they have and how to manipulate Mother Nature, whether it be with water or with, you know, composting and things like that. But I think composting is a big buzzword right now. Uh, uh, and then and just turn your dirt the right way, the right time, and uh, take it from there. But I think delicate composting, pick it when it's ready, don't wait too long, uh, think about that. Jack, just one more question, and then I'll let you go. I know you've, you've got plenty going on right now with the new restaurant just launched up, what, maybe a month ago. Um, you mentioned composting. I, I just wanted to ask you about about the food waste issue. I know that's just kind of a global problem. I mean, for, for you at Jack Allen's, do you have a way of handling that? Well, here's, here's the deal. You know, you don't build a restaurant to compost. You don't build a restaurant to store food. You, you build it to use. So in, in Travis County, by the end of the year, we're going to be required to compost uh, as much as we can. We compost for certain farmers right now because they need a little help. Um, but it, it's, it's very, very difficult to do when it's 105 degrees outside and you're trying to keep flies out of your restaurant. You're trying to keep stuff away. And, and by the way, if the farmer can't pick it up on time, then that compost, it's, 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 we haven't figured that out yet, but we're, we have to, we try as much as we can, you know, between composting, you know, the outside of romaine lettuce and the outside of onions and things like that, that's easy, but we're going to be required to even, even keep protein separate than our compost instead of just throwing it all in one trash can. And I'm a little worried about it. You know, if you talk about, and I'm just going to say it. I mean, you talk about rodent fever. You put stuff out there, and guess what you're going to get next? You're going to get raccoons, you're going to get rodents, you're going to get flies, you're going to get maggots, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. So, I think I think it's something that has to happen to save the landfills. It's going to be very difficult, and I'm going to have to hire one person every shift, 14 shifts a week, just to manage our composting and the way we get rid of trash. I'm not against it, but it's not going to be easy to do if you don't have somebody doing it. Right. But so, so the takeaway is it, it, it's going to help a lot. Um, and composting, I mean, a farmer cannot, doesn't have enough to use their own leftovers, let alone, you know, stuff like that. But, but restaurants will help them out a little bit. But uh, to me, composting is a waste literally a waste and uh and if, if something's not up to par then it goes in the compost bin you know period uh as opposed to the dumpster so it should be something that it's gonna it should be eye-opening to any restaurant in, in travis county that's not doing some sort of composting right now it's going to hit us in the teeth before the i think it's i think it's mid-october it's gonna have to start yeah, that's which means there's going to be a composting police guy going by every restaurant making sure they're doing the right thing. Or, or five composting, but uh, but I'm for it. It's just going to be hard to figure out. Right. Yeah. The the devil's in the details for sure. Yeah. 
Jack, I can't thank you enough for taking the time for this show. Uh, I definitely encourage anyone listening to to come down here to Austin, Texas, and try Jack Allen's Kitchen. You won't be disappointed. Um, thank you for uh, for sharing your your insights with us. I think it's a fascinating topic. Well, I, I thank you for for bringing it out there and uh, and and support your local restaurants and support your local farmers and uh, and your local spirit makers and cheese makers and things like that. Uh, because uh, it, it, it's a big circle, and, and you've got to take care of each other and do the right thing. Thanks so much, Jack. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Big thank you for uh, Jack Gilmore for being on the show and uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit on what it's like to run the logistics and the management behind a farm-to-table restaurant. And I just love his commitment uh, to farmers and his his knowledge of where quality, consistent food comes from and how hard it is to produce. I'm sure you are well aware, but we are a proud part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. This is a network of agriculturally related podcasts, and I think you'd really enjoy the content of those shows if you enjoy this one. Uh, you can learn more about that on any podcast player or at farmruralag.com. I do my best on this show to cover as many different aspects, as many different perspectives and ideas affecting the future of agriculture as I can, but I'm sure there's some I'm missing. If you have an idea for a concept for this show, please uh, let me know on Twitter at Tim Hamrich. I have found in the past it's a whole lot better to get ideas for directions and concepts to explore for the show than it is just to ask for guest requests uh, because uh, it's just always interesting to capture the story first and then find a good guest to tell the story. So if you know of an aspect of agriculture we have not explored on this show, but one that would be extremely interesting, please let me know at Tim Hamrich on Twitter. Hey, thanks so much for uh, tuning into this show and we will be back next week. for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com, that's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Ah!